Welcome to Sin 315. We're here to encourage and equip Christians to engage in the adventure of sharing Jesus with those that God puts into their life. And we're so glad you're here. Hey, Sarah, we are back in our happy place. Here yes. we are with everybody, and we need to share this. You've just suffered some adversity, haven't you? Yes, I've lost all my wisdom teeth. Tragic teeth. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully, I, I don't know if you can regrow them or something, but I don't know. I hang out with you. I think you still got some wisdom. I, I hope so. So if from now moving forward, if I just sound terrible and I never have anything to add, it's because my teeth are gone. It was all the teeth, and I'm just going to have to get it back. We've got a special show, don't we, today? We do, yes. And it's kind of funny because I was actually in the room for this one, but it ended up just being you, Kevin, with our guest today, Shane Blayfield, who's a very good friend of yours and an old acquaintance and friend in a way of mine. It is probably my favorite episode that really? we've done in a long time, if not the favorite. I really think it's going to challenge people yeah. in a deep way, in a way of how you think about the gospel and sharing it with people. One thing that Matt says, and he doesn't get an opportunity to say a ton on, on the mic here and everything, but one of the things I th know is important to Matt that came in this episode is you can do something with this. This is executable. People can take something away and go put it to work. The biggest thing, he's going to tell a story at the end. And I think it might be a little hard for people to hear. You might be like, what? But really the heart of it is God's heart. He he talks about how does your love extend to the point where you're willing to be disrespected? Are you putting God in a box that keeps you safe and sound? And Shane explodes some boundaries. He does. And it's beautiful and it's powerful and it really will extend you if you allow the Lord to speak to you in it and to grow you in this. We just hope that it blesses you a lot. In fact, I know it's going to bless you a lot. After you listen to it, we'd love to hear from you. Jump on yeah. our Facebook community. Let us know how it impacted you. Absolutely. Let's do it. You are going to be so glad you're here by the end of this episode because we have a man I love and respect and have been really looking forward to talking with, Shane Blayfield. Hi. Welcome to Scent 315. Thank you. You are probably even more at home in this studio that we're recording at than we are because you do some stuff here, don't you? Uh, well, we are working on a couple of different recordings for, for Foothills Worship, trying to get one of our newer songs we wrote, Lord of Every Man. We're in the final stages of recording it and getting it out. I've spent a lot of time in here trying to get the vocals right. It's been good. Cool. And so you are the worship leader at Foothills Christian Church. Uh -huh. What else do you do? Tell people who you are. Yeah, I'm a husband and a dad. I've got four kids, four super unfairly cute children. <laughs> I have a wonderful wife who supports me and it's wonderful. Um, actually, most of my time is spent at Youth Venture in Lakeside. We've got, for those listening who don't know what Youth Venture is, it's a community teen center for kids to come and hang out and play some pool and ping pong and video games to give free food. And then we mentor them and teach them and disciple them. So I spend most of my time there and uh, a little bit of time leading worship. Wish I could spend more time being a dad and a husband. How did you uh, first learn about Youth Venture? Well, I was 13 years old <laughs> and I showed up probably for some pizza. I got introduced to a whole bunch of adults who loved fiercely and um, 
got involved in my life and allowed me to get involved in theirs and they taught me and discipled me and probably like a year into that I gave my life to the Lord. The third lesson of the youth venture lessons is the lesson where you get invited to make Jesus your savior. And you did that lesson with me, Kevin. I got Holy Spirit. Look at those Holy Spirit goosebumps. Hair standing up on my Oh arms. my gosh, I remember that so vividly. Yeah. I remember the feeling. Yeah. I remember the room. Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah, when you're up there uh, leading worship, I am like, Lord, you're so, so good. You're so, so mm -hmm. good. And that's the thing. You never know what you're a part of and what your actions and, you know, just by volunteering, just by engaging what's going to happen. And so many other men, shout out to Ryan Poole, right? Men that invested in your life over the years and everything and what you're doing. I think I got handed off from you to Ryan Poole and then from Ryan Poole to Mark Hoffman. Wonderful people. Shane was probably the first person on my list when I wanted to talk about who we want on the show, who we want to share with. And I've got a really strong feeling that we'll probably be doing multiple episodes. We haven't done any multiple episodes yet, but I forecast that right now. Some of the most special conversations that I've had in my life. Shane in the hall, or he goes, hey, Kevin, I want to tell you about something that the Lord's been doing. And it spiritually revitalizes me. Mm. It creates a, I don't know if this is biblical, but a spiritual jealousy. We can go with iron sharpens iron if you want sure. to, to make it you know, biblically correct. But you have absolutely a passion for sharing Jesus mm -hmm. with those who are far from him. It's interesting because I have, I mean, ever since I first got saved, I've had a passion for sharing Jesus. I remember, I'm so glad I just remembered this, but uh, I had a best friend named Shane in junior high. And when I first got saved, so he was an atheist and we would sit together every morning at school and we would read. He was a big fishing fan. And so he had a book about fish and fishing and he would sit and read that. And I would sit and I would read through the gospels. And he's my atheist friend. And here I am reading my Bible. And the PE teacher walks by one day and she's a Christian. And she said, so you're fishing for fish and you're fishing for men. <laughs> and I feel like that was prophetic for my life. She didn't know she was prophesying, but that's what I've been doing ever since. I've endured conflict or put myself in tough situations or endured persecution time and time again, just so that I could get Jesus' name out there. And it's not something I try to do. I don't purposely do this. It's just I end up in situations that are that are difficult and that bear fruit. You know, one of the things that you and I've talked about, and we just talked about it today earlier, is that there's different seasons where you tend to engage in different ways. And it's not necessarily, in my mind at least, it's not necessarily maturity go I'm going to a higher level or a deeper understanding sure. necessarily but there's different seasons where the Lord is using different skills or different opportunities talk about that a little bit sure. about the different seasons and how you know what your experiences were and how the Lord has used you in different ways I think yeah when I first got saved and I was going to a public godless well not entirely godless but a public school because <laughs> there were some Christian teachers in there but had a lot of you know friends that were like either atheist or kind of believed in God but were heathens and my approach as a new Christian and as a junior hire was come to church, come to church, come to higher ground club, come to youth venture. And there were some battles that were won through that. And I remember that inviting people to church is the most basic, easy way to evangelize. And everyone should do that. And I still do that. We all should have that as a part of the, the way that we reach people come to church with me. I'm going to church because I'm learning. Would you like to come learn with me? And I think it can be a way to, the people's hearts can be softened, you know, right from the get go, because you're not trying to preach. There have been seasons for me where they're more preachy seasons. And I 
think when I transferred over to Christian school and there weren't a bunch of kids to invite to church because they're all mostly Christians or go to church somewhere. So I'm not like, okay, come to my church or come to my youth group. They're already there. Okay, so what can I do now besides just, you know, Bible thump all of these people for not being good enough Christians? <laughs> you know, what's a, what's another thing? that could, That's fun, right? But what's another thing that we can do? Like, okay, me and my friend in high school, we started a thing called Ecclesia. Ecclesia is just that Greek word for the church. And so our thing was be the church. And so we would gather and we would make plans and we would raise money to go down and buy food for the homeless. And we preach the gospel to the homeless. Or that was the first time I was really going out to evangelize. Whereas mm-hmm. before I was just whoever's around me, I'm inviting them. But now it's like, I have to be intentional. What are we doing Friday night? Okay, let's go down to whatever it was, Skid Row or, you know, in, in downtown San Diego. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I sure do. And let's buy them a meal and go sit down and talk to them or whatever. So there's a couple of different seasons. Definitely when I graduated high school, I met a guy who was discipling me and teaching me in the gifts of the spirit. When I first learned that, you know, you could hear from God in a very tangible way, words of knowledge, you could hear information about people. And that spurred on a whole other season, a very defining season for me where I was going on the street using, you know, words of knowledge or words of wisdom to reach people. And Because a lot of different people in a lot of different places are listening, can you explain that? Because it's throughout the New Testament, signs and wonders, and that we should see stuff like that. Maybe you could call it a normal Christian life, supernatural, normal Christian life. But what did that look like for you? Yeah, so for me personally, one example that always comes to my mind is I lived in La Mesa, downtown La Mesa. And so I would take some of like my afternoons or my mornings or my nights that I wasn't busy. I would just take walks down the street and just stop people and pray for them or whatever. And I would just try different things. I would just explore. These gifts need to be explored and pursued in a way where it's like, I have to keep myself open. I have to practice. I have to try. And so walking down the street and I see a person a hundred feet in front of me and I'm approaching them. I start praying, Lord, what are you doing with this person? What's going on? And one time specifically, I remember I looked at this guy and I was praying for him and the Holy Spirit just kind of spontaneously gave me this picture of kind of like a bone scan of his back. And at the very bottom of his spine, there was a little red protrusion on the left side. And I thought, is that a slip disc? Am I looking at a slip disc? (laughs) I stopped the guy. Hey, bro, this is a going to be really weird, just warning you, but I'm pretty sure you have a slip disc on the bottom left of your spine. Is that true? And he kind of looks at me like he just saw a ghost and I said, can you pray for me? And then lo and behold, like he's on his way into the gym. And so I got to pray for him and he went into the gym. I thought, okay, Lord, that was weird. Let's do some more of that. And so <laughs> as you practice, maybe you would see what appears like, you know, imaginary bone skin in your mind and you see a little red protrusion. and you're like, oh, definitely not God. That's weird. Okay, God, what are you actually doing? But when we practice and we try, you know, we can see God do cool things. Earlier when you're talking about checking it out, because I don't know if there's a formula for everything, right? But how do you personally have a check and balance? Like, what am I supposed to do with this? Or Lord, is this you? Or did I just dream up a bone scan with a protrusion that was red or Mm -hmm. whatever? How have you grown in that? What comes to my mind right now is like, okay, let's say you're fishing. I'm not a fisherman by any stretch of the imagination. I've been fishing many times and I've caught very little fish. It's fun to sit out there with a fishing pole. I don't know. But you throw out bait and it doesn't work. Switch out the bait. You try it again. You realize there aren't any fish here. You go to the other side. You figure out the bait there. You have to kind of like trial and error and test, right? And having leadership helps. If I went up to the guy and I said, you got a slip disc down there? He said, no, I've had a perfectly healthy back. I'd think something popped into my mind that was very interesting 
interesting and I need to go talk to somebody to figure out, okay, what happened here? What popped into my mind that was completely wrong that I thought was from the Lord? And if you have checks and balance of leadership and you kind of just trial and error, the one thing that you can't do is not try. If you never try, if you never experience, then you'll never know. You're going to definitely be wrong sometimes. Yeah. And it's going to be very embarrassing. And I've had many of those. <laughs> and Kevin has had many of those, right? Probably more. Probably more than me because you've been doing it so much longer. But it's like you have to try and you have to be willing to be embarrassed. We said a, a few weeks ago, I can't even remember when we were talking about this, but there was a situation where a waitress came up at a restaurant and the Lord compelled me to ask if she was married. You know, I don't usually do that. I don't ask women if they're pregnant and I don't ask, you know, middle-aged women if they're married. Well, that turned into a wonderful experience of her obviously having a breakthrough, telling us she had a breakthrough. It was wonderful. But what I didn't tell in that story is that whole night, there was a woman sitting in my line of sight. My attention was very drawn to her and I told my wife, Sylvia, boy, something's going on and I don't know what it is. And I believed that the Lord opened up for me that this is a person that had specific struggles in their life, what they were going through. But then as I was asking the Lord and just sitting in that, like Sarah says, that sitting in that and, and waiting on it and asking the Lord, I got a, no, Kevin, what you're supposed to do is pray for her and pray for the people that I have put into her life who have earned a right to speak into her life, not a stranger at a restaurant. It wasn't my call. My call was to pray into that and stand with those people. And I may never, ever know, or yeah. maybe I will. The same thing, like you're saying, sometimes you have a check and balance, but it can't be, it can't be just courage. Mm. It has to be, Lord, what do you want me to do? In recent episode, I told a story about an unnamed zealous evangelist with a lot of fervor who was sharing with a guy in a park, and the guy in the park responded aggressively in a negative way. Uh -huh. Do you remember this story? <laughs> yeah. Sylvia tells me this. You know what, Kevin? If you tell these stories about what God does and these other people like Shane tell them, then people get disengaged because they say, I'm not Shane, so I'm never going to do that. Mm -hmm. But when we talk about failures, uh -huh. what was that experience like? Yeah, there was a guy walking up to a table holding his shoulder. It was very obvious that he had a shoulder injury and um, I was looking for it, right? In that season, I was looking for casts. I was looking for limps. I had an eye. I could see a limp. <laughs> <laughs> from a mile away I could smell it I'm running after it I'm like I'm laying hands on the limp but this guy I'm thinking I gotta lay hands on that guy's shoulder and so I go up to him my approach wasn't very good and I startled him on accident and so I kind of was like hey man how you doing and he startles and he turns around like oh my gosh like where'd you come from I'm so sorry my social skills aren't that good I just saw that you have a shoulder injury and I'm a Christian and I'd love to pray for you and with very colorful language <laughs> with very colorful loud language he said no thank you go away Without the thank you, maybe. Yeah. No, go away. Colorful, loud language is scaring me less and less. So I'm just like, well, actually, no, I really think God's going to heal your shoulder. And he said, no, dude, are you crazy? I'm not going to ask you again. Like, you have to leave. And I said, okay, I'll leave. Because at this point, he's standing up with his fist bald, walking toward me. And so I say, okay, man, no problem. So I start walking backwards and I pray as I walk backwards out in the name of Jesus. And as he's screaming at me, in the name of Jesus, shoulder be healed. And he's walking faster. And then I run and I leave. <laughs> So I don't know if he got healed or not, but he did not appreciate uh, my visit right there. Yeah. yeah. Definitely didn't appreciate it. 
you know, one of the things that we've talked about uh, recently is letting man-made rules, perhaps, or even religious rules, perhaps, get in the way of something that you really feel that God wants to do. For example, when Jesus was healing a blind man, I don't know how many people up to that point had created a spit mud and slapped it in people's eyes. I imagine zero. I yeah. just, it might be like cliche or oversaid, underappreciated, but it's all about love. You know, love is a gift from God and love can blind you in the most beautiful, wonderful way. Mm-hmm. Jesus moved by compassion because they were like sheep without a shepherd. He fed the 5,000 people. I mean, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that we might not perish, but have eternal life if we would believe in him. I mean, love and compassion is like the driving force or the fuel for the miraculous, for evangelism. If it's not, if there's some other motivation, then our power stops short because love constrains us and compels us in a way that nothing else can. So it's like, okay, Jesus moved by love and compassion, put this mud in this guy's eyes, but the love in the moment, you know, he wasn't being reckless or whatever. The love was more important to him than the social thing in that moment. Personally, I think about, I had a big season where I was like spending a lot of time with the homeless, especially around the area at Foothills. Just whoever was around, there was definitely a drug dealer, Okay, in the truck with the dogs, people go to his truck in the middle of the night, we have it on cameras and then they leave, lots of people come, you know. Jesus loves that guy. (laughs) Jesus loves the homeless drug dealer. I came up to that guy with some cookies and said, hey, I got some milk and cookies, you wanna do Bible study? And a couple Friday nights, while everybody else was doing junior high group, I was in the drug dealer's truck with cookies and milk. We were doing Bible studies. And a couple different times we had other homeless join and we just talked about Jesus. The people, these are like the most hard-hearted, most disrespectful, unappreciating people that I've ever met in my life. But if my level of love doesn't allow me to be disrespected, then how much am I going to be able to do for God? How many miracles am I going to be able to see if my level of love stops short at being disrespected? It's like, no, I can can take some disrespect. Jesus went the full distance. He went the full distance of being disrespected on the cross. Well, I can give some guy some food and him not say thank you and sit down and have a Bible study and him not say thank you and him end up cussing me out at the end of the night. And then I could still go back and do it again because love is greater. I remember another time, again, in the area of the church, there's the Arco station right there and there's a dumpster and there was like this little hangout right there. And I thought, oh, okay, cool. So I went up to the dudes and they were sitting in a, in a circle right there behind the dumpster. And I said, hey, I'm going into the gas station. You guys want anything? And they all kind of laughed and said, I'll have a beer. And I thought about it for a second. I realized I wasn't 21. So I was like, <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm not 21. Is there anything else you'd like? Well, how about some cigarettes? And so in the flash of a second, it's like, okay, why or why not? Why not? Maybe socially unacceptable. Cigarettes are bad for you. Maybe someone who's a little bit older than me and maybe more religious than me would say that's a bad idea. Okay, re- reasons why. Me buying cigarettes for these guys and hanging out with them could very well open up their heart. I'm not buying heroin. I'm not buying meth. I'm not going over and shooting up with the guys. I'm buying a pack of cigarettes so that their heart might potentially be opened. You never know the journey to someone's heart. Everyone's heart is different. Everyone's heart needs something else. The quickest way to a homeless person's heart, I've discovered, <laughs> is milk and cookies <laughs> and cigarettes. Okay. Okay? I go into Arco. I buy the pack of cigarettes. The dude recognizes me. He says, aren't you here with church kids sometimes? And I'm like, yeah, this homeless guy wants some cigarettes. The Arco guy didn't understand. Maybe one reason why not to, he doesn't understand. How many things did Jesus do that people didn't understand? 
How many people did Jesus talk to that people couldn't understand why he went to the woman at the well and actually engage in conversation with her? His disciples didn't even understand. And so I was like, okay, people aren't going to understand, but love is pushing me past that. Love is pushing me past whether or not people understand. And so I got him and I went back to the guys and we all lit one up and <laughs> then I sat down with him. We all smoked together and just had some laughs and talked. And then at some certain point, I just asked him if any of them were Christians or believed in God. And Kevin, we had the most genuine heart to heart conversation about God. And, and this, it goes even, it goes even further, but imagine if my love would have stopped at no cigarettes. Like imagine if that's where my love stopped. There would be no conversation, beautiful conversation. And at the end, I got their number, they gave me theirs. And there was three guys in the circle that we didn't end up continuing in relationship, but there was one man who we did. And he would call me and I would pick him up and we would meet, we would talk, he would cry. We would talk about God. He would say, I need to change the way I'm living. And I say, I know. He shot up some bad meth one night, ended up in the hospital, had gangrene, lost all his fingers. And who did he call? Yeah. He called me. I'm the just the random church kid who bought him cigarettes and I have no meaning in his life other than the guy who like went a little bit of distance for him. Our relationship continued on. He started coming to our church every Saturday night for a long, long time. Um, he stopped smoking. He stopped doing drugs. He got put up in a trailer at his brother's house. I would visit him at his trailer ever so often. He ended up coming down with lung cancer and he passed away. But you know, guess where he is? And I wonder if cigarettes had anything to do with that. I think so. And you know, man, this is the thing for me. In this conversation, two things, hopefully three, can happen. Number one, people can say, that's not me. I couldn't do that. That's mm -hmm. for somebody else. And set it aside and not be courageous enough to step into the opportunities that God gives them. Not realizing that God made them for good works that he's prepared beforehand for them specifically to, to walk in disregarding that. So, no, 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 that's Shane or that's somebody else. All of a sudden, they lose out on the adventure of what God does. Number two, they start picking apart every single thing you say and judging, no, God would never do that. Well, guess what? In my experience in a long season, a long time with God, you can't put God in that box. God dances in and out of the box all mm. the time. And your evaluation of, okay, so why and why not, that's critical. That's mm -hmm. breakthrough. Yeah, who created this box? Like whatever the box is that I'm trying to keep God in. We did it. And we have to evaluate that for ourselves individually. Where's that box at for us? And what's stopping us from engaging in this? One of my passions and one of the reasons we're doing this show is if everyone could just wake up and say, Father, what do you have for me? Give me the eyes to see it and the courage to step into it because he won't forsake you and abandon you. He'll be with you in it. And it is his greatest joy to do this in us and through us. And my hope is that this is an episode that people dive in to their heart and their motivation and their apathy mm -hmm. and their fear. And they say, okay, Father, what did you have for me in this time? Yeah. You guys have just eavesdropped on a conversation I get to have with Shane Blayfield. I want to tell you, uh, you bless me every single time that I'm together yeah. with you. It's never enough. And you are right. You have children that are beautiful enough to be my grandchildren. So thanks for joining us today. I think uh, this drives home the point absolutely and totally. Not only are you sent, but you're equipped. You're equipped.